start using cutting-edge warp speed 5G technology with your cell phone. Let me tell you about my friends at MobileMobile.io. They have an ultra-fast 4G LTE and 5G network that covers 99% of Americans. So they've got you covered everywhere. Think about it for a moment. You have the opportunity to take a test drive for 10 days with unlimited talk, text, and premium data. What is premium data? Premium data is an allotment of a cellular data that you receive from a higher priority on the network. You won't get throttled like you will with some of those, well, non-brand service providers. To find out more information, all you have to do is go to mobilemobile.io. That's mobilemobile.io to start your 10-day free trial. This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Well, hello and welcome to this episode of The Jay Allen Show. I normally start off saying I hope how everything is fantastic and all that, but I don't even know where to start with this one. Um, it's been an interesting time since I found this out. So back on episode 175, we had Brittany Smith come in and talk about the world of Narcan, overdosing, and depression. And she went into a lot of detail about the things that were going on um, with her life how Narcan was such a great drug for people that had the problem with overdosing and how it could really help if more organizations looked into this. She gave some recommendations about what you could do um, in that particular regards and gave some recommendations on how you could help out, you know, just different groups that are trying to, to help people that are out there on the street. She did talk about how drugs were something that had affected her all of her life and that she battled with her own sobriety. Well, I got that phone call. I got that message of somebody contacting me to let me know that Brittany had um, fallen off the wagon when it came to her sobriety as of recent. And unfortunately, she overdosed and died. I really didn't know how to move forward with the information. I'm going to be honest here. I didn't know what to to come in today as we sat down to do this and talk about. But I still think that the information that she shared during that episode was so important. And I will tell you, I am not a person that likes to go back and go, oh, Let's just um, reuse something that we've done in the past. I look at this, though, that I think that the information that she shared during the episode was so important that we need to take another visit to it. We need to go in and talk about these things. So what I would like to do, if you're okay with this, I want to give you 
a non-interrupted commercial-free version of the episode that I had with Brittany Smith back on May the 4th of 2021, talking about depression, overdosing, and Narcan. Here's Brittany Smith. Uh, so I guess we'll start off from the very beginning. I know oh. that we, we had actually started off with a conversation and we started talking about addiction and we got into the conversation of Narcan. And I really right. thought it was such a very important message to talk about. How did you start getting involved with the whole thing and even going into the conversation about Narcan? How did it come about into your life? Well, I mean, I'd have to go way back to, <laughs> you know, like when I was 13, you know, and I discovered drugs and alcohol and, you know, I mean, that's a story in and of itself, but I'm a person in long-term recovery. Um, I will actually have two years clean and sober, uh, June 13th. So, um, thank you. Thank you. So I have been, uh, I guess, you know, lack of terminology of fortunate, you know, drug user because I've never overdosed. I never experienced that. However, back in, um, June of 2018, my mother was found unresponsive in the living room. Um, and my dad, you know, tried to give her Narcan. This was, you know, before they had the, the nasal, um, doses and my dad was trying to revive her, but you know, he couldn't, you know, so that kind of, that was where the seed was planted you know, when it comes to dealing with Narcan. And then, of course, being in the arena of recovery, the unfortunate thing is, is, you know, relapse happens, man, and people don't make it back, you know. So you hear a buzz about Narcan, you know. And again, June, I don't know what's up with June, <laughs> but <laughs> June 16th, 2019, I moved up here and, you know, began my recovery journey up here. And so, for, so for people that don't know, we're talking about North Florida, just just in case. Oh, yeah. Okay, so <laughs> I'll back up. I'm born and raised Broward County, lived there 30 years, 29 years of my life. Mm -hmm. and so South, South Florida for the non-Floridians in our, in our group, because that will yes. happen. Yeah, sorry. Oh, you're <laughs> so, good, you're good. So Fort Lauderdale, <laughs> right. you know, so the Fort Lauderdale area. That's where I was born and raised. And me and my husband, we actually relocated up here for a business opportunity. But I mean, I'm a spiritual person and the job opportunity never happened. However, I created the most solid sobriety I've ever had in my life. So, you know, when I say spiritual, you know, God plays a huge factor in my life. And I think, the job opportunity was me to relocate up here. So anyways, so with my networking going on here within the recovery community in New Smyrna Beach, um, I got connected with some people to do some outreach services, you know, speak to the homeless people, you know, volunteer. Um, I was pregnant. I, you know, wasn't doing much except online school. I was doing full-time school at Daytona State, you know, and so I had a lot of free time and didn't really know what to do with myself. So I got in touch with 
um, this organization called Volusia Recovery Alliance. And what they are, they're a community recovery organization. And what that means is we have certified um, recovery peer specialists um, who help people get into recovery. We meet people where they're at. We don't force recovery down their throat. You know, if they call and say, hey, you know, I'm thinking about going into recovery. Okay, well, we'll sit there and we'll talk you through what you're going through and, you know, decide what the best decisions are for them. It's kind of like we coach them in the right direction. So let's talk about that for a moment, because there's probably really a couple of things that we probably need to answer just for for us to have a better understanding, at least on, on, on on my side of the equation. Can you explain to people that might have never heard of Narcan on what it actually does and what would be the use on what it goes into and why you would need to use it, number one? And oh, then, right. then, I'll, then I'll ask you a follow-up in regards to what you were just talking about. Okay, so Narcan is an overdose reversal drug. I actually have uh, training with me, and I wish you could see me at the moment, but I think we can put up a link possibly. Um, So what it is, it's a nasal dose is a spray and it has a little plunger and you, let's say you're at the store and you walk out and you notice someone on the front step of the store, you know, they're passed out. You have Narcan on you. You go up to them, you announce yourself, Hey, are you okay? You know, are you okay? You know, no response, you know, do this sternum check, you know, um, and then you grab the Narcan, you put it in their nose, and you just push the plunger one time, you know, have the person lay on their back. Once you squirt it in their nose, you turn them on the, their side in the recovery position, which is on the left side, uh, one leg bent, arm extended over the head. So similar and, to how you would put somebody in the recovery position for CPR, give or take, or if they were cleaning out a, a, a choking hazard. Correct, correct. Okay. And so give it about two, three minutes after that first dose. If they're still not responsive, um, you administer the second dose. Now, I mean, the ideal situation is you have someone else with you. Mm -hmm. And if you are in that scenario, have them call 911. Because number one, you're probably going to be, you know, shocked, panicked, whatever. You know, you're trying to focus on the individual. You're trying to, you know, help. When you're on the phone with 911, they're telling you all sorts of things. So, I mean, the buddy system is great. Usually, so, that's so, not- so does the Narcan give you two two doses per per container, or how does it end up working? Because you said correct. It uses so one, okay. one box is technically one dose okay. because the first dose revives, the second dose stabilizes until uh, EMS gets on the scene, and then they'll usually you know, administer more Narcan if needed. Okay. So, so, box- so here, here's the weird part then, because I know that we were having the conversation about this. And right. we, we had a brief discussion on how it's being used out in the field. And you referenced that there are certain police departments that have access to it and that there are certain police departments that are not wanting currently to, we'll say, quote unquote, invest into giving this to their officers. Right. Or is this something that you're seeing in the community that you're in? Or are you seeing this across the board or how is that working? Um, it's, it's hit and miss. Um, I won't mention exactly which um, departments that I, I, I don't, do I don't blame you. I don't blame because, you. <laughs> you know, I am a, a um, we are a Narcan distributor for the County of Volusia. Okay. So I believe from what I've heard, there's one or two that um, that I know for sure that will not partake in 
you know, having Narcan on, on hands. I don't know if that's just, you know, a personal preference from, you know, the uppers there or what, but I do know that it revolves around the stigma of harm reduction and the stigma of Narcan. You know, people think, oh, we can just go, you know, use drugs and not die because we have Narcan, but that's not, that's not the actuality. You know, because if you've ever been Narcan, you're going to know how that feels. It's it's the worst thing in the world from what I've been told. So uh, the only thing that, of course, that I can think of that comes to mind and I have to go to movies because that's the way that it would work. Of course. Uh, There is a older, much older movie at this point called Pulp Fiction. Of where course. The, the, that's where I have to default to, of course. I just watched it the other day. <laughs> Is it similar to that? I mean, I know that we're talking about a shot of adrenaline for people who have watched the movie. Is it that initial reaction? It where can the person, be. Okay. It can be. Now, it, it also depends on how much drugs they have in their system. Okay. So if it's, if it's, let's say, a little bit and it's like, you know, hypothetically speaking, it's, you know, their first time using, so they only do a little bit and they overdose. Well, if I give them just one of these plungers, two to one, they're going to react like that. Maybe not to that extent, but it's not uncommon to have someone come to and start swinging. Oh, meaning, wow. okay. you know, throw, mm-hmm. you know, throwing hands, no, I, you know, I understood. Believe me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, they vomit, you know, they'll, you know, have bowel movements sometimes, you know, you just don't know. You know, not everyone comes to the same way because it's an instant reversal. You know, you're down and then you get that shot of adrenaline, so to speak, you know, so. So let me ask you that then. You say that you meet people where they're at. Right. When When it comes about and you are giving people ideas on what they can do next for the recovery phase and so on, does it normally start after taking Narcan? Is this normally where a good chunk of your conversations occur or do you find them in different segments? That's what we would, that's what we would like, you know, but that involves, you know, hiring more staff to, you know, we, we'd have to hire more, more uh, peer specialists. Then we would have to get in with a hospital, you know, where that's where they, you know, need us because they're receiving the the individuals that have just came to from an overdose you know so it's it's we're in the process of getting that to happen but again it's a process and a lot of a lot of people aren't certified to be peer specialists and that's because one a lot of people aren't aware of this position in the state of Florida and two a lot of people who are in recovery, who would qualify to do these jobs or are probably more qualified to do these jobs have backgrounds. And um, unless you can pass a level two background in the state of Florida, you can't get certified. Okay. And you is, know, that some, is that something that you would see nationwide with a level two background? Now, keep in mind that a level two background for the people that don't know is a higher tier background than just a normal, a normal employment background. So is this something that you're seeing that you would also recognize in other states or do you know the information mostly for Florida? Only for Florida, because in the state of Florida, our licenses are not usually recognized by other states. Okay. So, I mean, Florida. (laughs) Yeah. You know, not Florida. No, but yeah. So it's only in the state of Florida and 
uh, it's through the Florida Certification Board and the licenses for these types of positions, such as the um, certified recovery peer specialist or recovery support specialist. You have recovery coaches, you know, behavioral health technicians, therapists, counselors. They all have to be licensed through DCF. So that's where the level two background comes in at. So the DCF runs a level two background. And then if there's something on your record, you, depending on what the charges are, they do allow you an exemption process. But again, that's a process you have to request request all your records, all the court documentations, letters of recommendation, how you've changed your life from then to now, you know, and then it's a waiting game. Oh, wow. Okay. And not so, just, not just for nos- nothing, but there's a financial obligation as well because you have to pay for all these records, you know, right. so. And, and how, and how long are we talking here? So let's say for instance, you request records, you have to go through the level two check, you're going through this process. What's the weight? Because you've already have the money investment. You already know that you have the heart of a volunteer where you want to help to an extent to help others out. What are we talking normally timeline? Well, I know of an individual it took them three years because oh, wow. usually you, when, when you send in your application, it's not like, oh, yeah, you're good to go. Or no, sorry, we, we can't exempt you. Two to one, there's corrections. So it's going back and forth, back and forth. What did we miss? What did... I miss, you know, stuff like that. And then they have to have an actual decision. And sometimes it can go past whoever makes the decisions in, you know, wherever it can go to the gov- the governor, you okay. know, and see if they will sign off on it. But it, it all depends. I'm not sure the full a hundred percent process, but I mean, it does hold a lot of us up from getting certifications to, provide these services, which is where our heart's at to begin with. So what are some of the requirements that are background wise? So let's, let's not talk about the level two background. What I'm talking about, are you required to have certain experience with X, Y, or Z before they oh, even. Yeah. Depend, of course, depending on the certification that you, you want to go for that determines the qualifications. So okay. of course there's going to be some kind of experience. So if we're talk, if we're on the subject of Narcan and the, the organization I volunteer for, we, we are um, certified recovery peer specialists. So to become one of those, you have to be a person in recovery for a minimum of two years or more. Um, someone who offers services or are, affiliated with people who use drugs or are in recovery or a veteran. So, and then I, there's, I think there's going to be another one, but don't quote me on that. I'm, okay. you well, know, nobody's listening. It's just you and I. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but yeah, so those are the, the qualifications. And then you have to do a training. You have to do two different trainings, actually. You have to do a rap training, and then you have to have the, you know, the basic ethics and all that uh, training as well. And then once you've done all that, let's say, hypothetically speaking, you pass the level two background, you get your letter, okay, you're good to go. Now you have to send in an application with your all the qualifications met, You've done all your training hours and everything. You send in an application to the FCB. They make a decision on whether or not you're, you qualify to take the test 
for the state certification. And then if you get approved, then they'll set you up for the test. Now you can apply for indigency and I think they scholarship you basically, but if you don't meet those requirements, then you have to pay for the test as well. And I, and I would imagine that each state has something different that they do. Of course. Or, or of similar course. but different all at the same time. Right. So as you're going through this training process, and I'm just curious on my part, of course, how long of a timeline are we taking? I know that you said the background and along those lines can take up to three years, but when you're going through this training process, what are we talking about length of time? Because it sounds like a time commitment for sure. Right, but right. Besides the, 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 peer, the peer advisor for two years that you've already had to be in recovery yourself. Right, right. So it's it, it's four, it's a 40-hour course. Within that 40 hours, you have 16 hours that's allotted for the RAP training. So you have the 16 hours and then the rest of the 40 is your uh, CRPS training. And then you have to have your volunteer hours, which is, I think, 200 volunteer hours, I believe. And then you have, I think, another 100 or 200 of working hours. So, like, basically, you're shadowing someone. You're, you know, they're letting you do the stuff, you know, under their supervision. Um, and then that those, that's the training right there. And then, of course, it's all... The waiting time from sending and receiving, sending and receiving the correspondence. So, I mean, like I said, I know someone, it took them three years. Brittany, so. let, me ask you, let me ask you this, because as you're going through this process that you're going, that you're wanting to get certified and you're wanting to help other people, how difficult is it to see some of the people that are struggling with some of the things that you might have potentially struggled with prior as you're going through the process? Right. Um, I mean, it can be hard sometimes. You know, because like for me, I've I've been through a lot. Uh, you know, I won't go into like some crazy detail right now, anyways. But I've been through a lot. You know, we'll leave that and, for a later episode. I understand. Yeah, what you're saying. yeah. I'll tell my true story <laughs> at a later time. Stay tuned. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, like in my case, I have to apply for my level two background. So because of my level two background, it makes it very difficult for me to go and, you know, get my paid hours that I need for my certification. I mean, I've done them, but you have a five-year length. You know, all your trainings and everything are good for five years, I believe. Two to five years. They might have changed it. I can't remember. But, you know, like I moved up here, you know, I'm in recovery and... You know, I've worked in centers before down south in South Florida where it was never a problem, but they've made it a little harder, you know, a little more stricter on these backgrounds and which is fully understandable. I get it because we're dealing with, you know, a vulnerable population. And when you come into contact with a vulnerable population, they want to, you know, they want to make sure that you're there to do the right thing. You know, but with me not being able to pass the background, my sources are limited for how I can help people. And when I see someone that's been in the same exact situation or similar, you know, to me, and I can't help them because of where I'm at in my, you know, stage of getting certified or whatever, it, it sucks. I can do stuff, you know, as an individual here at home. However, it's hard. It's so hard, you know, because a lot of people aren't 
12 step oriented, so to speak, you know, and, and I can understand that there's more than one way to get recovery. It's not just AA or NA. It's not just CA, you know, it's not just smart recovery. It's whatever helps you, you know, for me, my journey, I started in AA, navigated to NA, went back to AA. And now, you know, I'm just kind of doing my own thing, you know, but that's, what's working for me right now, you know? So on a, on a 12 step level, I can take someone through the steps. I can, you know, be somewhat of a role model to them, you know, be their sponsor, guide them in the right direction when it comes to recovery related issues, you know, but I'm not a therapist and let's just be honest with my background and all the, you know, hurdles and red tape that, you know, has to be done. It, I probably won't be a therapist, you know, but I'm okay with that. I try to do what I can now. And that's what I do with my, with the Narcan committee that I volunteer for, for Evolution Recovery Alliance. So as as you've changed what you're doing and you're helping out with, with the recovery Alliance and you're moving forward and you're doing these things, do, are you limited with some of the things that you're doing also inside of the organization because of the background? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, like they, it, they're a nonprofit organization. So they qualify for grants, right? Okay. So in order for us to keep our doors open and to provide some services, we have, we, you know, the organization survives off the donations and grants right now. And they've, you know, they're a grass grassroots foundation. So they, you know, they've been in, they've been running for, I believe two years now, but so their latest grant that they got required any paid worker to have a level two background and pass it. And I don't pass it. So I don't, I can't, you know, I can't get the job. So, I mean, I know one day it's not going to be like that. And I have hope because things are changing politically speaking. Um, but, and listen, I'm not a politics person. I just, mm-hmm. you know, have friends in the right places. So I hear the right things, right. if that makes sense, you know, from my networking. But it's it all boils back down to stigma of being a drug user and being a person in recovery, you know, that's, that's really where the so as you, potatoes as, are. As, but as you look, as you look at this, so those details kind of limit you, but they're also the best suited people that or you're one of the best suited people to be able to assist because you know, some of the, some of the triggers, some of the problems and so on. Right, so, exactly. right, so with some of that going on, what can we do on the listener side of the equation on helping to bring awareness to some of these things? on where some of these things might need to change and also the awareness of Narcan in some facilities, we'll say facilities and organizations right. not wanting to use it. What can we do to assist drive this message home? Well, the, the biggest thing is, again, I'll say the word stigma, you know, people have an image in their heads of what people like me are and it's, totally not true. You know, in some cases, yeah. And in my, in my case, you know, I probably fit the mold to the T, you know, but I also know many people who grew up in a wonderful house, 
didn't have wants for anything, had everything and anything they needed, yet they still turned out, you know, to be a drug user, losing everything, you know, whatever their case is, you know, and we just got to, we got to understand that it is a mental illness, you know, we're not, we're not really seeing the big picture, you know, because two to one, we're using drugs and alcohol to self-medicate. And, you know, it's a snowball effect. And as far as the Narcan goes, you know, we never know if it's going to work or not. Is it highly successful? Yes. However, we don't know what that person has ingested or how much that person has ingested. So if the Narcan works and brings them back to life, that might be their chance that they're going to get recovery and they're going to stay clean and sober for, you know, the rest of their lives, you know, but we don't know, but the Narcan may just be saving your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your, your children, you know, and until you're in that situation, you're never really going to understand that. However, you you know, people can still be open-minded and not so judgmental because every day, you know, people are walking a smile on their face, but really they're battling demons that we don't even know of, you know, go ahead. I mean, there's so, there, there, no, no, there's so many things to, to unpack there as, as we go through it, because you reference the, the depression side of it, where people will turn to drugs to it. And I think that that's a I think that's a bigger portion of the conversation that a lot of people don't talk about. At least that's my opinion from what I get to see. I get to see a lot of people dealing or dealing with suicide, suicidal thoughts, dealing with depression, where they turn to other mediums um, to to ease their mind or turn turn right. away their demons or fill their demons with something else. And then right. it, and as you hear about this, it becomes such a struggle because, okay, people that have experience with this, they're put into a category. And it's difficult to get decategorized at times. Exactly. Exactly. Happen. Right. You're absolutely right. And, you know, the, the more we talk about it, the more the stigma is lessened, but not enough people are talking about it. You know, you see a little bit here and there on the news, but what is it really? You know, they're just glorifying the, the death or the, the negative aspect of it, not focusing on the positive side where the person went back to rehab. Okay, great. They went, they went back to rehab, you know, they're going to give this thing another go, you know, like it's just for ratings. And I know that, but now with social media and hashtags and Twitter and, you know, you name it, more people are capable of, you know, seeing the message or hearing the message, you know, and if it doesn't help them, it might help someone else, but all, all, all I can do with my social media and the messages that I share, all I hope is I plant that seed for, you know, maybe one day, not, you know, not that day, but one day in the future, you know, they might think about what I posted and that message that it sent and, you know, stop using drugs. But, you know, I can't, I can't be responsible for other people's actions. All I can do is lead by example, you know, and my 12 step program says, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. So, you know, why create more work for you? Just go down the path that's already been laid for you. So, 
Why reinvent the wheel? So exactly. I got a strange question for you. What are okay. we talking? What are we talking about? Roughly pricing on the doses for Narcan. I know that you said that the organization you you get to interact with they take donations. What are we talking about for price per dose on average? Oh, we don't we don't sell Narcan. Oh no, I know you don't sell it, but normally right. what is it? We well, have to purchase it. So oh, I'm just to trying to figure out what. It? Right. Uh, what is the your organization have to go through in regards to purchasing it? Like, what is the average so cost we don't, that you're going to buy it? Mm-hmm. Right. So as an individual, if I go to a pharmacy without insurance, it's, I want to say, no, with insurance, it's $125 with insurance. Okay. Without insurance, there's some pharmacies that will give you the Narcan for $25 without insurance, but those are far and few in between. Um, you can go online to Narcan.com, I believe, and they will send you a coupon. So again, it would be $25. Um, there are organizations and other websites that you can go to to get free Narcan. Um, us as, as, as the Volusia Recovery Alliance, we are a contracted distributor through, uh, the Department of Children and Families for the state of Florida. So what that means is we have shown, uh, the need for Narcan within our area or, uh, our county of Volusia. Um, and we were contracted to distribute Narcan to the communities that needed the most. Now we try and target you know, different areas, but we also um, get our information and where we need to host an event from um, Mike Titwood, and he's the sheriff for Volusia County. Um, so we don't pay for a Narcan. It comes straight from DCF so we can get it into the hands that need it who don't have insurance or don't have the money, you know, or even the people who feel like ashamed for, you know, asking Nar- for Narcan, you know, you never know. We set up with our, our pharmacy, Ben's pharmacy. Um, we did a, um, an event there by his request and the people who were getting the Narcan were the people who were picking up their scripts that same day. And they were embarrassed to fill a script for Narcan. So they rather, you know, do it on the slide. They, and again, that goes back to the stigma. And that, and that's probably the conversation that we need to have going forward in regards of how do we get the stigma away. Now, if people want to know more about what you're doing and more about you, where can they go out to find out more information? Uh, you can go to, uh, you can look us up on Facebook, Instagram, um, or our website. We are Volusia Recovery Alliance. And the website is volusiarecoveryalliance.org. And it shows all our events. We do all our community meetings on Zoom right now. Um, so that way, you know, we can target outside sources as well. You know, we're always, you know, we always have our hand out. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. We are located in Daytona Beach, Florida, and we serve the uh, Volusia County. And, so. I, and I would assume, though, that if people want to know more information, they can also go there about other resources that might be available throughout the country by going through your organization as well, correct? Yes, of course. So we have um, a list of uh, places that provide services, such as sober living homes, um, detox, uh, mental health services, um, 
you name it, we pretty much have it. We um, are in the process of planning our third annual um, overdose awareness event, which will be in September. Um, so we have a lot going on. We're always looking for volunteers. Also donations. Donations definitely help us keep the doors open and, you know, getting Narcan to people who need it, getting people into housing and, you know, start their journey to recovery and a, a better way of life. So. Well, Brittany, I can't tell you how much I appreciate number one, you coming onto the show and number two, what you're doing to help the community in regards to bringing this information forward. And I'm glad that you have actually taken your platform and stood in front of a whole bunch of people and said, Hey, let's talk about this and let's not play the, the blame and shame game. Let's bring right. it out to the general public, which most people wouldn't do. So I appreciate it. And I applaud you for doing that. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. So that was the interview that I conducted with Brittany Smith back on May the 4th of 2021. And still even listening to it in regards on how she was still involved with the organization that she was at. Trying to plan their third annual that occurred in September. And really just bringing the information forward brings such value still to this day. You never know on how quickly things can change for you. You never know when something's going to happen. I just look at this and go, if there's somebody who's out there today that you know that is struggling, contact them. Just even if it's just a simple hello, I just wanted to see how you were doing. You never know what kind of impact that can have on somebody else's life. I look at these things and I, I'm always mesmerized on how quickly things can change in our lifetime. I don't even know what to say after that. Until next time.
The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. So do you feel like you're missing out on what everyone is starting to do now, that live streaming thing, and you don't know where to start or what to do? I have the resource and the information to provide to you in regards on how you can stream onto 40 social media platforms all at one time. Yes, that's 40-40 social media platforms all at one time. All you'll need to do is go to safetyfm.com forward slash one. That's safetyfm.com forward slash one. That's O-N-E. So just in case. And you'll be able to start live streaming just like you're hearing people starting to do right now up to 40 social media platforms.